Section 2 of the Turkish Embassy Letters. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amanda Mel, Portland, Oregon. The Turkish Embassy Letters by Lady Mary Wortley Montague. Letter 5. Petervarden, January 30th, O.S. 1717. At length, dear sister, I am safely arrived, with all my family and good health, at Petervaradin, having suffered so little from the rigor of the season, against which we were well provided by furs, and found such tolerable accommodation everywhere, by the care of sending before, that I can hardly forbear laughing when I recollect all the frightful ideas that were given me of this journey. These, I see, were wholly owing to the tenderness of my Vienna friends, and their desire of keeping me with them for this winter. Perhaps it will not be disagreeable to you to give a short journal of my journey, being through a country entirely unknown to you, and very little past, even by the Hungarians themselves, who generally choose to take the conveniency of going down the Danube. We have had the blessing of being favored with finer weather than is common at this time of the year. Though the snow was so deep we were obliged to have our own coaches fixed upon traineaux, which moved so swift and so easily, tis by far the most agreeable manner of travelling post. We came to Rob, the second day from Vienna, on the seventeenth instant, where Mr. Wortley, sending word of our arrival to the governor, the best house in the town was provided for us, the garrison put under arms, a guard ordered at our door, and all other honours paid to us. The governor and all other officers immediately waited on Mr. Wortley to know if there was anything to be done for his service. The Bishop of Temeswar came to visit us with great civility, earnestly pressing us to dine with him next day, which we refusing, as being resolved to pursue our journey, he sent us several baskets of winter fruit, and a great variety of Hungarian wines, with a young hind, just killed. This is a prelate of great power in this country, of the ancient family of Nadesti, so considerable for many ages in this kingdom. He is a very polite, agreeable, cheerful old man, wearing the Hungarian habit, with a venerable white beard down to his girdle. Rob is a strong town, well garrisoned and fortified, and was a long time the frontier town between the Turkish and German empires. It has its name from the river Rob, on which it is situated, just on its meeting with the Danube, in an open champagne country. It was first taken by the Turks, under the command of Pasha Sinan, in the reign of Sultan Amrath III, in the year 1594. The governor, being supposed to have betrayed it, was afterward beheaded by the emperor's command. The counts of Schwarzenberg and Palfi retook it by surprise, 1598, since which time it has remained in the hands of the Germans, though the Turks once more attempted to gain it by stratagem in 1642. The cathedral is large and well-built, which is all I saw remarkable in the town. Leaving Komora on the other side of the river, we went the 18th to Nozmul, a small village, where, however, we made shift to find tolerable accommodation. We continued two days travelling between this place and Buda, through the finest plains in the world, as even as if they were paved and extremely fruitful, but for the most part desert and uncultivated, laid waste by the long wars between the Turk and the Emperor, and the more cruel civil war occasioned by the barbarous persecution of the Protestant religion by the Emperor Leopold. That prince has left behind him the character of an extraordinary piety, and was naturally of a mild, merciful temper, but, putting his conscience into the hands of a Jesuit, he was more cruel and treacherous to his poor Hungarian subjects than ever the Turk has been to the Christians, breaking, without scruple, his coronation oath, 
and his faith solemnly given in many public treaties. Indeed, nothing can be more melancholy than, in traveling through Hungary, to reflect on the former flourishing state of that kingdom, and to see such a noble spot of earth almost uninhabited. Such are also the present circumstances of Buda, where we arrived very early the 22nd, once the royal seat of the Hungarian kings, whose palace was reckoned one of the most beautiful buildings of the age, now wholly destroyed, no part of the town having been repaired since the last siege, but the fortifications and the castle, which is the present residence of the governor-general Ragul, an officer of great merit. He came immediately to see us, and carried us in his coach to his house, where I was received by his lady with all possible civility, and magnificently entertained. This city is situated upon a little hill on the south side of the Danube. The castle is much higher than the town, and from it the prospect is very noble. Without the walls lie a vast number of little houses, or rather huts, that they call the Rashian town, being altogether inhabited by that people. The governor assured me it would furnish twelve thousand fighting men. These towns look very odd. Their houses stand in rows, many thousands of them, so close together that they appear at a little distance like old-fashioned thatched tents. They consist, every one of them, of one hovel above and another underground. These are their summer and winter apartments. Buddha was first taken by Solomon the Magnificent in 1526, and lost the following year to Ferdinand I, King of Bohemia. Solomon regained it by the treachery of the garrison, and voluntarily gave it into the hands of King John of Hungary, after whose death, his son being an infant, Ferdinand laid siege to it, and the Queen Mother was forced to call Solomon to her aid. He indeed raised the siege, but left a Turkish garrison in the town, and commanded her to remove her court from thence, which she was forced to submit to in 1541. It resisted afterward the sieges laid to it by the Marquis of Brandenburg in the year 1542, Count Schwarzenberg in 1598, General Roswerm in 1602, and the Duke of Lorraine, commander of the Emperor's forces, in 1684, to whom it yielded in 1686 after an obstinate defense, Aptibasa, the governor, being killed, fighting in the breach with a Roman bravery. The loss of this town was so important, and so much resented by the Turks, that it occasioned the deposing of their emperor, Mohammed IV, the year following. We did not proceed on our journey till the 23rd, when we passed through Adam and Todovar, both considerable towns when in the hands of the Turks, but now quite ruined. The remains, however, of some Turkish towns show something of what they have been. This part of the country is very much overgrown with wood, and little frequented. Tis incredible what vast numbers of wild fowl we saw, which often live here to a good old age, and, undisturbed by guns, in quiet sleep. We came the five-and-twentieth to Mohatch, and were shown the field near it, where Louis, the young king of Hungary, lost his army and his life, being drowned in a ditch trying to fly from Balibus, general of Solomon the Magnificent. This battle opened the first passage for the Turks into the heart of Hungary. I don't name to you the little villages, of which I can say nothing remarkable, but I'll assure you, I have always found a warm stove, and great plenty, particularly of wild boar, venison, and all kinds of gibier. The few people that inhabit Hungary live easily enough. They have no money, but the woods and plains afford them provision in great abundance. They were ordered to give us all things necessary, even what horses we please to demand, gratis. But Mr. Wortley would not oppress the poor country people by making use of this order, and always paid them to the full worth of what he had. They were so surprised at this unexpected generosity, which they are very little used to, that they always pressed upon us, at parting, a dozen of fat pheasants, or something of that sort, for a present. 
Their dress is very primitive, being only a plain sheepskin and a cap and boots of the same stuff. You may easily imagine this lasts them many winters, and thus they have very little occasion for money. The 26th we passed over the frozen Danube, with all our equipage and carriages. We met on the other side General Veterani, who invited us, with great civility, to pass the night at a little castle of his a few miles off, assuring us we should have a very hard day's journey to reach Essex. This we found but too true, the woods being very dangerous and scarcely passable from the vast quantity of wolves that hoard in them. We came, however, safe, though late, to Essex, where we stayed a day to dispatch a courier with letters to the Pasha of Belgrade, and I took that opportunity of seeing the town, which is not very large, but fair-built and well-fortified. This was a town of great trade, very rich and populous when in the hands of the Turks. It is situated on the Drave, which runs into the Danube. The bridge was esteemed one of the most extraordinary in the world, being eight thousand paces long and all built of oak. It was burned, and the city laid in ashes by Count Leslie, 1685, but was again repaired and fortified by the Turks, who, however, abandoned it in 1687. General Dunewalt then took possession of it for the emperor, in whose hands it has remained ever since, and is esteemed one of the bulwarks of Hungary. The 28th we went to Bokowar, a very large Russian town, all built after the manner I have described to you. We were met there by Colonel, who would not suffer us to go anywhere but to his quarters, where I found his wife, a very agreeable Hungarian lady, and his niece and daughter, two pretty young women, crowded into three or four Russian houses cast into one, and made us neat and convenient as those places are capable of being made. The Hungarian ladies are much handsomer than those of Austria. All the Vienna beauties are of that country. They are generally very fair and well-shaped, and their dress, I think, is extremely becoming. This lady was in a gown of scarlet velvet, lined and faced with sables, made exact to her shape, and the skirt falling to her feet. The sleeves are straight to their arms, and the stays buttoned before, with two rows of little buttons of gold, pearl, or diamonds. On their heads they wear a tassel of gold that hangs low on one side, lined with sable or some other fine fur. They gave us a handsome dinner, and I thought the conversation very polite and agreeable. They would accompany us part of our way. The twenty-ninth we arrived here, where we were met by the commanding officer, at the head of all the officers of the garrison. We are lodged in the best apartment of the governor's house, and entertained in a very splendid manner by the emperor's order. We wait here till all points are adjusted concerning our reception on the Turkish frontiers. Mr. Wortley's courier, which he sent from Essex, returned this morning, with the pasha's answer in a purse of scarlet satin, which the interpreter here has translated. It is to promise him to be honorably received. I desired him to a point where he would be met by the Turkish convoy. He has dispatched the courier back, naming Betsko, a village in the midway between Pitarwarden and Belgrade. We shall stay here till we receive his answer." Thus, dear sister, I have given you a very particular, and, I am afraid you'll think, a tedious, account of this part of my travels. It was not an affectation of showing my reading that has made me tell you some little scraps of the history of the towns I have passed through. I have always avoided anything of that kind, when I spoke of places that I believe you knew the story of as well as myself. But Hungary being a part of the world which, I believe, is quite new to you, I thought you might read with some pleasure an account of it which I have been very solicitous to get from the best hands. However, if you don't like it, tis in your power to forbear reading it. I am promised to have this letter carefully sent to Vienna. Letter 6. Adrianople, April 1st, O.S. 1717. I am now got into a new world, where everything I see appears to me a change of scene, and I write to your ladyship with some content of mind, hoping, at least, that you will find the charms of novelty in my letters, 
and no longer reproach me that I tell you nothing extraordinary. I won't trouble you with a relation of our tedious journey, but must not omit what I saw remarkable at Sophia, one of the most beautiful towns in the Turkish Empire, and famous for its hot baths, that are resorted to both for diversion and health. I stopped here one day, on purpose to see them, and designing to go incognita, I hired a Turkish coach. These voitures are not at all like ours, but much more convenient for the country, the heat being so great that glasses would be very troublesome. They are made a good deal in the manner of the Dutch stagecoaches, having wooden lattices painted and gilded, the inside being also painted with baskets and nosegays of flowers, intermixed commonly with little poetical mottoes. They are covered all over with scarlet cloth, lined with silk, and very often richly embroidered and fringed. This covering entirely hides the persons in them, but may be thrown back at pleasure, and thus permits the ladies to peep through the lattices. They hold four people very conveniently, seated on cushions, but not raised. In one of these covered wagons I went to the banyo about ten o'clock. It was already full of women. It is built of stone in the shape of a dome, with no windows but in the roof, which gives light enough. There were five of these domes joined together, the outmost being less than the rest, and serving only as a hall where the portress stood at the door. Ladies of quality generally give this woman a crown or ten shillings, and I did not forget that ceremony. The next room is a very large one, paved with marble, and all around it are two raised sofas of marble, one above another. There were four fountains of cold water in this room, falling first into marble basins, and then running on the floor in little channels made for that purpose, which carried the streams into the next room, something less than this, with the same sort of marble sofas, but so hot with steams of sulphur proceeding from the baths joining to it, it was impossible to stay there with one's clothes on. The other two domes were the hot baths, one of which had cocks of cold water turning into it, to temper it to what degree of warmth the bathers pleased to have. I was in my travelling habit, which is a riding dress, and certainly appeared very extraordinary to them. Yet there was not one of them that showed the least surprise or impertinent curiosity, but received me with all the obliging civility possible. I know no European court, where the ladies would have behaved themselves in so polite a manner to such a stranger. I believe, upon the whole, there were two hundred women, and yet none of those disdainful smiles and satirical whispers that never fail in our assemblies when anybody appears that is not dressed exactly in the fashion. They repeated over and over to me, Guzel, peck Guzel, which is nothing but charming, very charming. The first sofas were covered with cushions and rich carpets, on which sat the ladies, and on the second their slaves behind them, but without any distinction of rank by their dress, all being in the state of nature, that is, in playing English, stark naked, without any beauty or defect concealed. Yet there was not the least wanton smile or immodest gesture among them. They walked and moved with the same majestic grace which Milton describes our general mother with. There were many among them as exactly proportioned as ever any goddess was drawn by the pencil of a Guido or Titian, and most of their skins shiningly white, only adorned by their beautiful hair, divided into many tresses, hanging on their shoulders, braided either with pearl or ribbon, perfectly representing the figures of the graces. I was here convinced of the truth of a reflection I have often made, that if it were the fashion to go naked, the face would be hardly observed. I perceived that the ladies of the most delicate skins and finest shapes had the greatest share of my admiration, though their faces were sometimes less beautiful than those of their companions. To tell you the truth, I had wickedness enough to wish secretly that Mr. Jervis could have been there invisible. 
i fancy it would have very much improved his art to see so many fine women naked in different postures some in conversation some working others drinking coffee or sorbet and many negligently lying on their cushions while their slaves generally pretty girls of seventeen or eighteen were employed in braiding their hair in several pretty fancies in short it is the women's coffee-house where all the news of the town is told scandal invented etc they generally take this diversion once a week and stay there at least four or five hours without getting cold by immediately coming out of the hot bath into the cold room which was very surprising to me the lady that seemed the most considerable among them entreated me to sit by her and would fain have undressed me for the bath i excused myself with some difficulty they being however all so earnest in persuading me i was at last forced to open my shirt and show them my stays which satisfied them very well for i saw they believed i was locked up in that machine and that it was not in my own power to open it which contrivance they attributed to my husband i was charmed with their civility and beauty and should have been very glad to pass more time with them but mr wortley resolving to pursue his journey next morning early i was in haste to see the ruins of justinian's church which did not afford me so agreeable a prospect as I had left, being little more than a heap of stones. Adieu, madame. I am sure I have now entertained you with an account of such a sight as you never saw in your life, and what no book of travels could inform you of, as it is no less than death for a man to be found in one of these places. End of section 2 Recording by Amanda Mell